Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. I thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to be a supporter of this podcast and uh, if this is of benefit to you, please go to patreon.com slash timothyyap. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to have your support. It's patreon.com slash timothyyap. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you and God bless you. Father, if it were not for your word, we would have perished in our afflictions. Father, we thank you for your holy word that gives us courage and strength, even through the most difficult times. And Father, we thank you that your word has the ability to speak to us in ways that the world and the wisest people can never do. Only you can speak your words of life into us to build our faith, to grow our faith. So, Father, as we spend the next few moments in your holy presence to listen to your holy word, Father, we just want to pray that you take control of the next few moments, that you will train our hearts and our minds to listen to you. Give me clarity as I speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. Not long ago, Christianity Today did a podcast where they spoke about a very high celebrity pastor, high-profile celebrity pastor. They interviewed a woman who once worked as the secretary of this senior pastor. And one evening, while this secretary was invited by some of the elders' wives for dinner, after dinner, the ladies got together and started chatting. One of the elders' wives asked the church secretary what she thought about working for the pastor. The secretary spoke highly of the pastor. She did mention the number of glowing points about the pastor's ministry. Then one of the elders' wives paused and asked the secretary, what was the pastor's weakness? After thinking for a while, the secretary responded. She said, he needs more accountability, I guess. He needs men that he can uh, stand toe to toe with. Men who are willing to challenge him to hold him accountability. I think that's what he needs. And that was the end of the conversation. The next day at the church office, the senior pastor was just livid. He was extremely filled with anger. He called the secretary to his room and together with the executive pastor there in the presence, the senior pastor exploded with all kinds of very violent speech. And finally, the pastor said to the secretary, he said, Do you know that you have committed heresy? The secretary was just flabbergasted. Heresy? Isn't heresy like false teaching? She's never really taught formally in the church. How can she be committed for committing heresy? And so she was sitting there confused. And there the pastor, the senior pastor, in front of the executive pastor, fired the secretary at the spot. She was fired by the spot. Not long after, the senior pastor preached a sermon on friendship. During the sermon on friendship, the senior pastor told the congregation that he was betrayed recently by somebody he trusted. And the church secretary was sitting in the congregation. And the pastor turned everything around so that he becomes a victim. Not only was he not confronted as a bully for bullying uh, this church secretary for speaking her mind, 
Now the pastor becomes the victim. He's being betrayed by the secretary. And because the secretary said the things about his weaknesses, he's now the victim. And he even got the congregation around him, consoling him. Obviously, the church secretary felt very hurt. And not too long, she and her husband also left, left the church. There are people who can turn circumstances to their favour. They know how to manipulate situations so that they can become the bully and be turned immediately into the angel. They know how to manipulate people so that their crimes looks like, look like a desperate acts of a man who needs compassion. The people who know how to twist situations around and maneuver things and people around so that they come across as the victor all the time. In order to get their way, they know how to do things to their own advantage. But this is not God's way. This may be the world's way, but this is not how God does things. When we come into difficult situations, whenever things do not come out our way and turn our way, this is not God's way to manipulate people, to manipulate circumstances, to make things turn to our favour. How then should we respond when we face difficult situations? How should this pastor have responded rather than twisting the truth around and making the secretary look like a, uh, an evil person just because she pointed out his weaknesses. How should the pastor have responded? I want us to look into the book of Ruth, especially Ruth chapter 3, uh, this morning. So we're studying through the book of Ruth. The Bible in the book of Ruth gives us two ways, two steps as to how we should respond when we face difficult circumstances, not through manipulation, not through turning things around so that people look at us differently, but the Bible has two steps that we can take. Number one, we need to pray about this. Naomi, who is the main, one of the main characters in the book of Ruth, is presented, represents herself as someone who's, who calls herself bitter, because she was indeed in a very difficult situation. Things could not have turned out worse for Naomi. I mean, she had two sons and her two sons died and was in the season of a famine. There was no food left and she had to return, uh, uproot in an old age and to go back to the city of Jerusalem, uh, to the city of Bethlehem. And in such difficult times, everything seems to turn against her. She had perhaps a few friends in her new environment. She, all she had was her daughter-in-law. Her sons had both died. Things looked impossible for Naomi. And she ends the first chapter of Ruth by telling us that her life was indeed bitter. And then here in chapter 2 uh, of Ruth, we are told that Ruth went out to work in order to feed herself and her mother-in-law. And so we are told here in uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 17, that so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. In order to feed her mother-in-law and herself, she went out to work. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. 
she carried it back to town and the mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man to notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I had worked with today is Boaz, she said. In verse 20, the Lord blessed him, Naomi said to his daughter in to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is our guardian redeemer. The last time we heard about Naomi, she was in the throes of despair. But now after seeing Ruth returning back from work the first day, she was filled with work. And she tells, uh, uh, and after hearing about Ruth's day, where she was working in the field of Boaz, where Boaz had shown her kindness or has said, she was overjoyed. And how? what did she do? She prays for Naomi. She prefaces her speech by saying, The Lord blessed him. The word blessed in the book of Ruth, as we've been looking at the book of Ruth, is more than just a well-meaning word or well-meaning wish that we often use in our Western society. The word blessed in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament is a prayer, is a prayer for God to work His favors in the life of the person that's being prayed for. So Naomi here prays for a blessing on rule uh, on Boaz. Why? Because Boaz has been kind and assured has said to her daughter-in-law. Um, we read here in verse twenty. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. What an amazing woman here. Instead of just rejoicing and eating, the first thing she says is she prays for Boaz because Boaz has shown kindness. And uh, many scholars have uh, observed that the Hebrew text of Ruth chapter 2 verse 20 is quite ambiguous. Um, because here Naomi says, He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. Who is the he? Uh, many say it is Boaz. Many people even say it's God. That God had not stopped showing kindness towards Ruth and Naomi. And I think it's both. It's supposed to be ambiguous. Whether it's Boaz or whether it's Yahweh. It's both. God has, stopped, has not stopped showing kindness to, um, to Naomi. And, is, and, and God through Boaz has not stopped showing kindness to Naomi, whether it's the living that's Ruth in herself and the, and the dead in terms of a husband and the two dead sons. And so here Naomi prays. She prays for Boaz, asking God to bless him. How will God bless Boaz? Later on we know what actually Naomi has been praying for. After hearing Ruth talked about the sweet young, this sweet man, perhaps he's not very young, um, showing such kindness towards his daughter-in-law, to her daughter-in-law, Naomi has a heart to pray for Boaz and also Ruth. And later on, we read in chapter three, uh, what uh, uh, verse one, what she's been praying for. She prays that my daughter. 
I must provide a home for you. She's not only just praising God for the kindness that Boaz has done. Here, Naomi prays that God will also bless the union between Boaz and Ruth. Instead of taking things into our own hands, instead of taking a very difficult situation, perhaps a very impossible situation into our own hands, Naomi first prays. And perhaps it was a very ridiculous prayer because Boaz was this well-established and an older gentleman uh, and, uh, and, and, and not a Moabite. And perhaps, he was, uh, perhaps it was rich because he owned fields. And somebody who was well known to society, as we were reading the last chapter, Ruth. And here Ruth was uh, a widow and uh, a foreigner. For them to come together perhaps was difficult and perhaps even impossible. How can these two people of so unlikely backgrounds come together? But yet Naomi has in her heart to pray that Ruth will find a family. Whatever the difficult situation we faced, let's not think of ways to manipulate people first. Let's not think of ways to turn things around. Pray, even in the most difficult situation, when Naomi faced this extremely impossible situation of bringing these two individuals together, she had the boldness to pray because she knows that he, and that is God himself, has not stopped showing kindness to her. Lee Eckloft once told a story about a woman named Kathy. Kathy had a disabled son, and the disabled son could not speak and could not make cognitive signals. He was disabled since he was very young. But Kathy one day asked Lee, Pastor Lee and the elders to pray. Because she read James chapter 5 verses 14 to 16, she felt convicted in her heart that as James tells the elders to pray for the church, but especially for those who are sick, she felt that she wanted the church, the elders, the pastors to pray for her. So that's what they did. They just anointed her with oil and prayed for her son. 25 years passed. One day, Pastor Lee received a telephone call from Kathy again. And Kathy called Pastor Lee and said, Remember 25 years ago when you and the elders prayed for me? I think God has finally answered our prayers after 25 years. Because today when we went to the speech therapist, I brought Nicholas, my son, to the speech therapist this morning. And we were sitting in the therapist's um, room, and the therapist said something that really shocked, shocked me. You see, Nick ne never been able to uh, show any signs of understanding before. But today, Nick seems to be able to show some signs of understanding. You see, the therapist had two cards. One card was red, signifying no, and one card was green, signifying yes. And he began asking Nick a question is Nick is your mother in the room today and Nick for the first time in his life started to point and started to point at the green card 
and Kathy was standing there and she couldn't believe it. And there were other questions that the therapist asked and Nick could point to the answers. And so she called Pastor Lee and says, Do you remember when the elders prayed for Nick? God has finally answered our prayers. Yes, it may take 25 years, but God answers prayers, even the most ridiculous prayers. Naomi prayed the most ridiculous prayers here for two people from two worlds to come together. And the Lord has not shown, stopped showing His kindness. Let's pray. Let's not manipulate people first from very difficult situations. Let's pray and watch God work because He has not stopped showing kindness to us. Secondly, not only should we just pray, but we should act righteously. As advised by Naomi, Ruth is to approach. Naomi has this plan, therefore, um, and Ruth is supposed to approach Boaz at night. And the plan was that he should lie near Boaz and uncover his feet. In chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi says, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whom the, the, uh, with, uh, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, Note the place that he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the, of the grain pile, and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned around and there was a woman lying at the feet. Scholars who have uh, written on this passage have often understood the phrase uncovering of the feet as some kind of a sexual activity and they have debated about the morality of Ruth therefore. However, such arguments miss the point of the passage. According to Ruth's own understanding, the garment that covers the feet is symbolic. Ruth herself describes the, the covering as symbolic uh, because they, 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 they are symbolic of wings, W-I-N-G-S. But uncovering Boaz's feet and asking him to spread the, 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 the coverings over her is to spread his wings over her, which is an Old Testament expression of marrying, of a man marrying somebody. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8, Yahweh is said to be a, like a man who spread the corner of his garment over Israel, which is a way of saying that Yahweh spreads his uh, uh, wings upon Israel as Yahweh marries Israel as his bride. So all um, Ruth is trying to say to Boaz is, will you? Marry me. Isn't it amazing 
that the women of the Bible are so bold to make such a first move. And what is very interesting is that Ruth's reference to the helm of Boaz's garment as wings is very significant. The word wing is the narrator's attempt to call us to Ruth chapter 2 verse 12. Remember what happened in Ruth chapter 2 verse 12. When Boaz first interacts with Ruth, he prays that Ruth will find refuge under Yahweh's wings, under God's wings. So Ruth here is reminding Boaz, you be God. You be God's agent to me and spread your wings over me. So awakened in the night by Ruth's intrusion, Boeth is surprised. But his first words is not to take advantage of Ruth, but his first words, like Naomi's first words here in chapter two, 3, uh, is a prayer. He prays for God. He prays for Ruth. The Lord blessed you, my daughter, chapter 3, verse 10. He then says, the kindness is greater, the kindness is greater than which you have shown earlier. Instead of shaming uh, Ruth for doing such a bold thing, or instead of taking advantage of Ruth for being vulnerable at this time, Boaz prays for Ruth, and he is grateful for Ruth to show dub a double dosage of kindness towards him. And he prays for a blessing over Ruth. Here is a man who acts righteously. Instead of mm, taking a situation and using it towards his advantage, Boaz acts righteously. What should he have done during this situation? He praised for Ruth and thanks her for a double dose of kindness that Ruth thinks of him so highly to propose to him. And, and that's such a, a, remarkable, a remarkable way to respond to a difficult situation. Instead, when, when we face difficult situations, instead of responding in defense, instead of responding um, in ways that make us look good, the first thing we should have been doing is to pray and act righteously. And then there is a bit of humor in the way Boaz responds to Ruth's proposition. He doesn't say yes, or he doesn't say no. But he gives Ruth a picture. Uh, he paints Ruth a picture before she leaves um, for Ruth to read for herself. What does she do? Before Ruth leaves uh, Boaz's tent for, uh, for in the morning, what did Ruth do? We read in chapter 3, verse 15. He, Boaz, said to me, Bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. The Hebrew word for shawl here is very difficult to translate because it's, the, it's, the, it's a word that's only used once in the Hebrew Bible. But most likely it refers to a piece of outer clothing worn by a woman. So what Boaz is trying to do is that Boaz is trying to tell Ruth, give me your shawl. So most likely this shawl is a piece of clothing tight around her waist. And uh, what Boaz does is that Boaz pulls open this uh, piece of clothing and puts into this piece of clothing six 
measures of barley. That's a lot of barley and place into it before Ruth leaves. This was a present to her. But think for a moment. What Boaz is actually doing here in this picture that he's created. If Ruth is holding this lump of barley in a shawl that is in front of her belly. What does she look like? She looks like a pregnant woman. With all the barley filled in front of her, her stomach. What is actually Boaz saying? Boaz is hinting at Ruth at what he will do. Not only will he marry her. But he will also father her children. And Boaz perhaps knows how uh, uh, Naomi has been waiting anxiously at home. So without forgetting Naomi, he says to, uh, he, he, uh, uh, he says to uh, Ruth, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So Boaz Bali gives recalls to uh, uh, the first few verses of Ruth when Naomi came back and Naomi was saying how she, how she has come back empty, empty-handed. Perhaps Boaz has heard about Naomi's arrival earlier on in the book and the Bali was also to fill the hands of Naomi with food. Such a beautiful such a beautiful and perhaps a humorous response to a wedding proposal. Imagine if a girl proposes to you instead of saying yes or no, you fill her tummy, <laughs> you fill her dressed with barley so that she looks pregnant. What a way to respond. Boaz acted righteously. So taking advantage of her, he starts by praying with her and says, I will do the right thing. Not only to you, but also to your mother-in-law. So that she will not be empty-handed anymore. So she has some barley in her hands. And, she, and he cares not only for Ruth, but also for this anxious older woman. This was a man who acts righteously. God works through prayer. And it's through prayer he motivates us to act righteously. Prayer and good works are never contradictory, but it's because one depends upon each other. God often works through our good works as we pray and seek Him. He works in concert with our works of righteousness. And that's what God calls us to do. When you're in a difficult situation, don't manipulate people. You don't need to look good. God needs to look good. People can blaspheme you and you can look terrible. That's fine. God needs to look good. Don't manipulate people. Don't manipulate situations. Pray and act righteously. Because God often acts through the good works of His people and brings greater glory for His people. Long time ago, there was a, name, a lady named Suki. Suki had a doting father who loves her and during a time when women were not allowed to study she was allowed to study Latin and Greek because this girl Suki wants to be somebody who writes novels she wants to be a novelist even from a very young age and because she was extremely smart she was able to study and she did well but unfortunately 
because of circumstances, she was forced to marry a pastor named Samuel at a very young age. She spent most of her life living in rural parishes, whereby she gave birth to seven children and watched three of them die. A careless midwife even maimed her seventh child for life. She suffered six difficult pregnancies in eight years, and she almost died of exhaustion. Then her husband uh, lost some money and managed mon money badly, that he had to take up a second job, and they were always in want. They had five more children, and all of them died in infancy. And when Samuel turned 65, he suffered a stroke, and she had to take care of him. Altogether, she gave birth to 18, one eight children, and eight of them died in infancy. Her, her name, Suki, was a nickname her father gave her. Her given name was Susanna. She was the wife of the Reverend Samuel Wesley. Though she led a very hard life, she always prayed and always acted righteously and trained her sons to live righteously. And one of her sons, John Wesley, sparked a revival in America and founded the Methodist Church. Her other son, Charles, became a hymn writer, and some of his hymns are still sung in churches today. Here is a woman who was faced with a very difficult situation, but she prayed. Instead of turning to, a, to, to sinful ways to manipulate the situation, she trusted God and acted righteously, and God ultimately blessed her. God's help sometimes puts our best dreams to shame. And God still does His work this way. Let's not manipulate others when we're in difficult situations. Let's not manipulate situations so that it turns to our favour. But let's pray and trust God enough to do things His way. That's what Boaz did. Never took advantage of Ruth when he could. But he acted righteously, even in humorous ways, to win Ruth over to his side. And that's what God does for us. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this passage of Scripture that reminds us that even in the most impossible situations, we can look to you that we can pray to you, that we can intercede and call upon heaven's help. And so, Father, that's what we do. We pray for you to intervene and help us to walk righteously in faith that you will take our works and use it for your glory. So Father, we just want to pray that you teach us what it means to trust your Son Jesus again. To know that Father, you are far greater than the circumstances and the plans that we have. Pray Father that you will once again impress us with your power and sovereignty. I pray for anybody listening to this sermon right now, where they hear live or whether it's online, that Father, you will speak. 
your words to us today. In Jesus' name.